What makes a great solar business? How can you learn from the past and prepare for the future so your solar business thrives? We set out to answer these questions and more. My name is Nigel Morris and I'm the Head of Business Development at Solar Analytics. Welcome to Great Solar Business, proudly brought to you by Solar Juice. Well, hello, solar friends, and welcome back to yet another episode of Great Solar Business. This week, we're going to dive into more secrets of how to build a great solar business in 2022. And I'm continuing the theme this week of exploring new technologies. And we're getting down and dirty with a new ground mount product that I stumbled across recently. And I'll say, for the record... I don't take cash for comment. I don't get paid by suppliers. Sometimes suppliers approach me and say, hey, would you be interested in talking about this? And if I think it's a good topic, I'll talk about it. But all of the guests that I have on are guests that I've reached out to, um, just to make that clear. Now, there are literally gigawatts of potential on Australian rooftops. We all know that, and the potential is enormous. However, there are plenty of situations where ground manning makes sense too. And of course, the solar farm market has grown hugely, particularly over the last few years, bringing this issue into focus. But ground mounting has some very real challenges, geotechnical surveys, remote labour and wind loading, just to name a few. And of course, if you've been around a few years, you would have seen some horror stories about plants that didn't survive the challenges of the Australian continent. I stumbled across US company Earthos recently, who have a fascinating take on how to solve these challenges, and invited Daniel Flanagan from Earthos onto the show to talk about their technology in this episode titled Down and Dirty with Ground Mounts. Daniel, welcome to Great Solar Business. Thank you very much. Great to be here, Nigel. Good on you, mate. Um, now, uh, you're, um, you're a rare beast on this show, I have to say, Daniel. I rarely invite international guests on, but I was so um, uh, taken with the technological approach that... Um, that you guys have developed that uh, I reached out and you very kindly uh, agreed to join me. Um, so give us your background. Give us the, the Earthos story to kick off the show. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, yes, yeah, so I've been in uh, solar for about 25 years. I started off as an electrical contractor doing residential and uh, CNI uh, design, sales marketing installation. And then in 2009, I co-founded Zep Solar. So that's the company that uh, eliminated uh, mounting rails from roofs uh, in favor of a groove around the side of the module. And uh, we were able to dramatically um, expedite the installation process and remove a bunch of material out of the system. Um, we eventually got to about 45% of the U.S. Uh, market, uh, residential market. In uh, 2013, we were purchased by Solar City. Um, we continued to develop products, including uh, commercial rooftop products and trackers and so on. And then we were purchased by Tesla um, in 2016. Uh, I myself uh, pitched and worked on the solar roof product um, with Elon oh, wow. at, at uh, uh, Tesla and ran the uh, mechanical and industrial design elements of that product. Um, and then I left Tesla in, um, uh, I think, 2008. 18, I believe, um, to start a company with my same partner that um, I co-founded Zep with called Ojo. And uh, Ojo is a, um, uh, uh, a novel uh, foundation technology for utility scale trackers, where instead of driving piles into the ground, 
Um, they use a um, software controlled uh, screw, uh, uh, screw rig, driving rig to um, create A-frame structures where you take about half the steel out and you dramatically increase the accuracy of the of the point at which you um, land your uh, torque tube. So, um, and that company is um, uh, very successful right now in the US, US market. And then I <clears throat> moved from uh, Ojo to Earthos and kind of continued the theme of uh, launching products in the market that remove material um, from the system. In this case, in quite a dramatic way, we literally eliminated all the structural steel um, in a utility scale power plant. And that's where I am today serving as their chief marketing and product officer. Sensational. And, 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 and I love, I love uh, the, 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 the fact that you've come from a, you know, from, uh, from the rooftop, if you like, from, you know, selling and uh, helping to install stuff, but you know, great history of innovation. I'm sure many of our listeners would remember Zep Solo. I certainly do. Uh, I remember being hugely excited about it. I think you have a special tool, didn't you yeah. have a like a special little tool that you had to use on the side? I remember the zip you know, tool. Yeah, yeah the zip tool. That's it. I remember. <laughs> uh, I remember looking at them at various shows over the years. Uh, mm-hmm. And great to hear that that's still going on. And great to hear that background of innovation. I think it uh, is uh, to your credit that you've you've been involved in so many innovative things, mate. So good on you. And um, so let's let's dive in a little bit. Um, and talk about your tech. I've had a look on your website, but for the benefit of the listeners, from what I can see, it looks like you've basically removed all the framing from a ground mount system and you use what looks like a tether, uh, a cable tether and some plinths at the end. Is Tell me about it. Yeah, so I'll describe the basic um, architecture of it. So, um, and just the sort of the hidden part is, and, and, and this, the, the answer to a lot of questions that come up are in the realm of, well, it's designed professionally from a civil point of view. So there's minimal civil work to do, but all of the issues of drainage and the way the soil needs to be and so on, that, that's handled as part of the professional design. But suffice it to say that there's a minimal amount of civil that's done on the site. Um, so obviously mm-hmm. you got to remove big rocks. We call it disking and rolling basically cleaning the surface and, and, and getting it, getting it flat. Um, so once you have that, um, you literally are laying materials directly on the ground. As you can see um, from the images, you have a precast concrete perimeter um, okay. and, and the modules lay on the ground in a typical XY grid. One unique aspect to the module, similar to how Zep Solar would license their technology to the solar module manufacturers, um, in, in a more substantial way, because they, they were changing the extrusion um, of the frame. In this case, we do the same. Um, but in this case, it's quite simple. It's just a it's just a specialized hole pattern, part of which has to do with um, some of the uh, uh, fluid and, and and wind dynamics. But um, uh, four of them that have to do with the the cable that you were uh, referring to. So there's a six uh, um, sixteenth inch um, uh, one sixteenth. Uh, stainless steel cable that goes both through the X and Y direction of each module and, and right, forming right. like a grid. Right. And so I think of it kind of like a ripstop material and like military pants or something like that. Um, and they, they're not tensioned though. They're not, their purpose is not to, um, uh, 
to hold the modules down per se against wind. So, and, and to finish that off, they terminate at those precast concrete perimeters. So they're both, the, the cables are bolted down at either, at either end. Uh, the main reason for those cables, way to think about it, you have to consider that we have um, our autonomous cleaning robot that comes out. Um, and essentially the cable prevents one module from getting too out of line in the Z direction from the other um, um, to create um, a regular surface for the robot. Um, And and also it's not a requirement for the Ortho system to be laid on a perfectly flat surface. Um, It can can go up to a 15% slope throughout the plant um, and it can can undulate. So you can really minimize your civil. Um, And so think of it on the, on the macro scale, even though you've got these individual rigid modules, they're not rigid with respect to one another. So it can lay across, you know, gentle undulations of, of the, uh, of the earth. Um, one, one part I left out there is um, before the modules go down, you lay your PV cable um, uh, with a product uh, that we refer to as the laminated cable assembly. And so these are, um, this is like a ribbon of PV cable that's pre-terminated uh, where your positive and negative uh, connections are exactly where they need to be to pick up each individual string that just gets laid down um, on the ground. Um, So um, yeah. And so you're literally just placing all these materials where they need to live, connecting the connectors, module to module string terminations, connecting the steel cables as you go. Um, And that's, that's pretty much the entire, the entire um, architecture of it. Holy smoke. That, that that is an amazingly simple sounding system. So let me let me just so basically X Y cables, which just kind of keep everything roughly in place. And so, yep. um, on, on that topic, you know, uh, and I'm jumping ahead a bit here, but you know, we know that on roofs, for example, one of the major issues is not so much wind lift, but wind suction on a roof, and so those cables do the job of stopping, you know, all those panels from lifting up off the ground, presumably. And, and if I'm not mistaken, there's a fair bit of flex in that system. So things are going to move around a bit in, for example, a, a big storm that, you know, uh, creates suction lift across an array that you might have laying on the ground. Is, is, is that right? Um, well, the thing to keep in mind is that the, the um, wind dynamics at two inches off the ground are quite different um than than up on a roof or even a foot or feet above the ground and interestingly it's not understood very well because because there are not typically construction projects that are within the uh we like to call the earthosphere just the little area teeny little area (laughs) above the surface of the earth um and so um so so whereas it's not not very well understood um say in code um it's it is uh it is testable, right? In the typical third party um, wind tunnel testing um, type of um, programs that are typical of, of new products in the industry. So uh, we've done our, uh, our testing so far with CPP, a uh, very well-known uh, wind tunnel lab. Um, and, uh, and actually we don't even account for the cables in our, in our, in our current li- listing, which is uh, up to 151 miles per hour. Uh, we're going to, and we did that just because it was quick and easy. Um, originally, we're going to go back and, and uh, add complexity to the study, which will um, yield us a, a considerably higher uh, wind rating actually. Wow. Wow. The idea of just, you know, 
dropping your panels on the ground and um, keeping your life simple is just fascinating to me. That's so cool. And I, I hear what you're saying. Of course, we're, most people don't uh, don't consider the wind load at two inches off the ground. So the, the, the logic is starting to sink in for me, Daniel. That's good. <laughs> now, um, tell me about the, the – I, I mean, you can kind of imagine the, the um, logistics and cost savings, but <laughs> – is is there higher risk here? I mean, things things to me that I was immediately thinking when I was looking at that array was okay. Hang on, you you're sitting a solar panel on the dirt. There's nowhere for the air to escape, so you'd be having heat build up. If it's laying flat, you're not going to be optimizing its output. Um, um, you've be on the other side. You've got what I would expect would be quite a bit faster deployment, and obviously much much less. Material cost. How does that all balance out, man? Because presumably heat buildup is certainly going to be an issue, um, and that lower output is going to be an issue. How does how do how do you balance out that um, those factors? Well, let, yeah. Let's start with the the output because that really speaks directly more to the the sort of base economics um, and the other stuff is you know risk assessment stuff. So so just to get that part straight, so. Um, Trackers um, do, of course, yield more energy per solar module, call it 19% more, you know, depending on your site. Um, so we counter that by adding approximately 19% more modules into the system to get the same AC energy yield. But then we take out about 20% of the cost by removing all the structural steel. We also cut labor dramatically um, in half in some cases. And we also cut the land cost in a half or even up to a third. So our ground cover ratio is very, very high. So we only require, again, about a half a third of the land. Um, so, so all of these costs come, come way down. Um, so that's, that's how the energy production slash economics part of it work. Right. So uh, like, like we see even on rooftop systems where you go, well, look, you know, I can use a high efficiency module or I can simply put more lower power modules on a roof. And either way, I'm going to get the same annual generation type of thing. Yep. And so where you end up with Earthos is um, when you, when you do a um, levelized cost of energy um, assessment on, on the bottom line of it, you get 20% savings typically in that, in that range, which is a really a step function improvement. You know, we're, we're, you know, we're looking for a few, you know, percentage here, percentage there with this innovation or that innovation or different way of doing things. Um, but this is literally on the order of, of 20% reduction. Nice. Nice. Fascinating. I love it. It's the keep it simple, stupid approach, really, isn't it? It's uh, it's really cool. Now, now tell me. I, I mean, I know you guys are you know um, um, just sort of kicking off into the global market after doing all the other things you've been doing. And um, uh, I, as, as far as I, do, you have any projects in Australia yet? Are you looking at Australia? We do not. Uh, oh no, we yeah. definitely are looking at Australia. We don't have any projects in Australia yet. Yeah. Um, so our our our. Um, intention from the beginning was to focus on success in, in launching in the U S um, even just in our recent um, announcement of our series B financing, um, which was um, um, just recently, a couple of weeks ago, we're getting a lot of calls. Um, so we're interacting with a handful of companies uh, in Australia, including a, a large industrial firm 
um, but definitely of the the size we're interested in. So I should probably make it clear to you and, and your listeners that our our target market is large scale utility solar. Um, we yeah we want to you know we're we're looking obviously with the new technology you climb the ladder you know of you know small reference systems to you know five to ten to twenty to hundred megawatt but that that's our that is our trajectory and we are seeing interest in in uh, uh, Australia already. Um, uh, at that scale, we have um, we're in the process of of scoping our IEC certification package currently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we will, um, um, which obviously you need for Australia and other markets outside the US. So we're we're in that process right now. Right on, right on. And so tell me, you know, I mean, one I can see Australia being a fairly obvious target in, in, in the sense that we have an awful lot of land that's uninhabited mm-hmm. and a fair bit of flatland uh, also. But the other thing about Australia, of course, is that we, um, we love a good cyclone. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're pretty famous for big dust storms. Um, gets um, interminably hot, you know, some of the hottest locations on the planet. And, of course, as we discovered to the nation's... Um, tragic experience over the last few weeks uh floods are becoming uh more and more prominent and more and more vicious as the as the environment changes around us and and so you know what since it's so topical why don't we talk about floods for a moment i mean we saw i actually saw an image the other day of an array up in southern queensland that was built on a known flood zone and in that particular case i remember this tender coming out actually the the arrays were right up jacked up really high above what they believed to be the one in 200 year flood level i believe the inverters had to be even higher than that again up on towers uh everyone kind of looked at it and went cripes this is tricky because it's a cyclone prone area as well as being a flood prone area but sure enough the project went ahead and indeed a photo the other day of the entire array submerged um, interestingly, on that particular project, the inverters were high enough. And so when the water drained away, they did a check over the system, turned the inverters back on, and the system just fired back up, which was rather impressive. Mm-hmm. How, how, how <laughs> So you're dealing with an, a, a bit more stress. You would have, you know, high-velocity water flowing over an array that was flat on the ground. You'd obviously have mud and silt and all sorts of other things. How, how are you guys going to go in a flood situation like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So um, there are many, many, many elements to this. And I, I can give you the gist on some of what, you know, are the, the main questions and concerns. But uh, keep keeping it in the, you know, keeping the, the backdrop in place of all of these systems. They, they you, you can't do a utility scale solar installation if it's not fully professionally engineered, which includes all the hydrology, geotechnical um, you know, environmental, all that stuff. So, um, what, what I can say, um, is we, we now have systems installed in four counties in California. Uh, these are smaller systems. They're in the press releases, you know, uh, the, the first one was I think 250 ish KW and then 600 KW. Uh, there's, uh, a handful of those being built currently also, but spanning four uh, counties, including one of the most difficult counties in California, Kern County to get a solar permit. Um, one of those permits, actually, we are actually in the flood zone. Um, now, that doesn't mean the HJ, the, the, the building department, got that right. But, but um, it, we, we can permit it partly because there are sound fundamentals on what's actually happening. So, um, for one, in terms of um, 
the transformer, the inverters, it's no different than a tracker system. So there, there, right. there, there's no right. difference. There, right. So you're talking about the, the DC uh, components. So um, a solar module being underwater is not a catastrophic uh, event. Certainly not mm-hmm. like it getting ripped off uh, a tracker. Um, Earthos specifies always um, glass, glass module construction. It's impervious. Uh-huh. Right. So, ah. so the module laminate itself is completely protected. Um, we also we also have the correct IP ratings for the J boxes and the um, uh, and the connectors as well. We're also we're, I mean, so we we there is a common uh, connector in the market today that has an IP68 uh, rating, which are typically for I mean, you can you can design the, the test for whatever duration you want, but it's typical that it's, it's in a, you know, an hour. Um, we have a 24 hour one, but that's just an arbitrary limit right now. So we're actually working with well-known connector companies to, to um, raise the bar on that or, or extend the test to, to prove that these things can be um, underwater for quite a while, you know, and the, the concept of electrical being underwater is not, is not old, right? There's tons, there's right. marine, right. marine electrical is a, you know, well-known thing as well. Right. Um, so anyhow, so, so modules can be submerged. It does, uh, the other thing is on a, on a given site, you can, um, um, you can, uh, avoid the, uh, flood zones more readily because you use a third of the land. Um, sure. Of course, it's advisable to stay out of the flood zone, but like I say, it's not a not permittable or a catastrophic event from the point of view of risk. And you had, you had brought up the overall question of risk previously, uh, we definitely believe that the risk profile from an insurance underwriter point of view um, ought to be and will be lower um, eventually. And actually we're working with, um, wow. we're working with folks in the insurance industry right now to, um, to start um, articulating that. And yep. right now the insurance for an Earthos project is, is less because there's less of a basis um, for the CapEx on it. Right. So, but we're sure. also, we will get lower rates eventually. And, and a, a huge part of that is just the stability of the module where it sits. So think about a module that's up on a tracker. It's, it's handling cyclic wind loads, you know, hundreds of cycles all day long, every day sometimes. Right. And, right. and so, the module is just physically not stable in that regard. And we know that micro cracking is an issue in the industry. It's becoming more and more understood. It's definitely on the radar of the insurance underwriters. Um, the, an earthos module has no mechanical cycling like that. No, no loading. Yeah, yeah, sure. I shouldn't say no. It has, it has one extremely minor one when the robot comes over it once, once a night. Um, uh, but that's, it's, it's minor, but that's literally it. There's no daily cyclical cycling. The, um, you, you, we can talk about heat, um, uh, more on the concern level. I'm happy to do that. But on the plus side, um, in terms of thermal cycling also, which can contribute to, um, DC health and micro cracking and so on, um, you have a much narrower thermal, uh, expansion and contraction band because the modules are sitting on the earth, which acts as a, a heat sink. Uh, so yeah. thermal, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, your okay. thermal swings are not as dramatic, right? So all in all, structurally, physically, the modules are very well protected um, from, from those kinds of forces that, that, um, that are believed to cause uh, long-term degradation. Wow. Wow. Uh, it, the more you talk about it, the, the more amazing it sounds. Um, now, tell me about the robot cleaner. I saw that and we've seen them, you know, over the years and, and yeah. certainly some of the large scale plants, um, you know, they're available for people to use or 
uh, whatnot. But I see, you know, a, a cleaning robot is is sort of part of the part of the deal for your system, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah. So we and need so, to go ahead. No, go on. Yeah. So when you you know when you when you put uh, the module on the ground, um, you'll get more soiling unless you clean it every day. But then if you clean it every day, um, you you get a bunch of bunch of ancillary benefits um you're you're actually keeping your soiling rate down lower than you would um on a tracker so you pull ahead in that that category um you also get the benefit with an ir camera of getting cell level dc health data um and so so the robot has a the robot has a camera in it as well yeah it's got an rgb camera and an ir camera and so you can um typically on on a tracker you might do a drone flyover which is pretty expensive i don't think you typically see it done more than more than twice a year, sometimes once a year. So if you get a if you get damage to a module the day after you do your drone flight, it's going to be a year of not functioning um, uh, unless it's acute enough to to trigger some other investigation. Um, uh, but you know, typically it'll just be some some degradation of of power production for a whole year until you fly the the drone again. So with the Earthbot cleaning robot, um, that happens every day. So um, wow. you can very you can immediately identify, um, you know, thermal problematic thermal signatures on the modules. That is cool. I, I I know. I remember from when I used to work in the automotive manufacturing industry, and I was involved in 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 um, statistical process control. And you know, mm-hmm. we always used to try and get back uh to to build measurement systems into the process rather than doing quality control checks at the end of the process like you say of mm-hmm. drone flyover once a year if you can build checks in so that during the process in this case of generating energy uh if you're doing those checks regularly i can see enormous benefits that that is extremely cool i, I, I and i didn't even know that that's yeah and the um it's another uh, interesting um case of putting modules on the ground and this architecture opens up new new opportunities um right. specifically with the economics of the of the robot so it's really hard to make uh cleaning robots economical for for trackers and in order to do so um you can't really you can't build like a super robust um piece of equipment otherwise you get a you get out of cost range um and it's problematic no matter what and therefore not super common um on utility um uh, tracker plants the reason it works with earthos is you're amortizing the cost of that robot over over two megawatt AC or three megawatt DC of array. Um, sure. Yeah. And so not only, not only does it work, but it can work um, uh, along with um, specifying a very high level of quality and durability in the, in the robot. It's a good robot. It's a good robot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is awesome. Uh, now we do, we've been going cause it's fascinating. Thanks so much for, for, yeah. um, sharing this with us, but we've got to take a break and hear a word from our sponsors. SolarJuice is Australia's leading solar distributor, providing complete residential and commercial rooftop solar component solutions. SolarJuice aligns themselves with brands that share their values of service, support, quality and value for money. Like their panel brands, REC, Hyundai, Trina and Longy, their inverters, SMA, Fronius and Sungro, along with the Tesla Powerwall battery. Check out solarjuice.com.au and let SolarJuice help you become a great solar business. Great Solar Business is also brought to you by Solar Analytics. From just $40 a year, Solar Analytics can help solar owners save an extra $400 by recommending the ideal energy plan. Solar Analytics, it's different. 
Learn more at solaranalytics.com.au. All right, we're back. And uh, please do remember to uh, thank our friends at Solar Juice who help us keep the wheels turning here at GSB. Don't forget to like and share the show with your friends. All right, we're talking with Daniel Flanagan from Earthos, who has told us a remarkable story about. Um, I've, I've learned a lot actually today, Daniel. Thank you for that. I, I, there was some logic there that I could see, but some very cool stuff um, uh, sort of under the surface mm-hmm. of this new technology. Um, so we've talked about, and I can see now that its applicability for solar uh, for Australia is 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 going to be good. I can see how you've overcome some of those challenges. I can see the simplicity. I can see the cost savings. Um, it sounds like a really fascinating product. Tell me, how is this a product that you envisage an Australian solar installer being able to buy and install themselves? Is that is that how you're going to market? Tell me about your channel strategy. Sure. Yeah. I mean, our, our function is to offer products and services that are aimed at helping deploy this new technology. The most typical party that we would interact with um, would be the developer because they're, they're typically um, the decision-making um, uh, entity at that, at that point. We've also right. worked with installers though, to be able to, to bring opportunities to a developer or, or to pitch it uh, and say, Hey, you know, I have this technology here. Um, I think it could it could help your project. So we will work with with uh, any solar company, whether it be an EPC, a developer, um, uh, or uh, you know, or an IPP um, utility, whatever it may be, an industrial off taker um, to to help. And so we we provide the services of the engineering. Um, so mm-hmm. we 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 are the solar architect for for the project. Mm-hmm. Um, we provide those parts and pieces that we sell. Um, that I described earlier, it's a very small percentage of the value of the of the system, but we provide oh, those because cool. they're they're unique to us. You know, sixty sixty five percent of the value or the you know the the um, the cost of the system is the module itself. Um, so anyhow, so we provide the the engineering services, the the small earth gear kit, um, and we help with uh, procurement services, uh, putting out the RFPs to the module manufacturers. Um, who have our, you know, whole pattern uh, uh, in it, et cetera. And then we also provide the long-term energy services because that's that's inclusive of the robotic cleaning. Right on, right on. Okay, that's that's good. So, you know, um, Bob Solar down in Coonabarra brand, don't rush up to buy 10 kilowatts. That's not really <laughs> the way that it works. It's more yeah. about these very, certainly I can see large-scale projects and, you know, doing a full wrap on the, on the civils and everything else that's uh, and the architecture, the solar architecture. Yeah, and and certainly as a man, and you know, at some point we we um, would love to see the technology deployed. You know, at sort of at any scale. Um, it's just yeah. a matter of um, of um, you know, in a startup environment, you have to um, you have to garner your resources and and direct them in the in the in the places that have the best economics relative to your you know your operating costs and so on and so forth. Yeah, of course, of course. All right, we um, we're rapidly running out of time, but a couple more questions just to wrap it up. So, um, great story, interesting tech. Are there are there applications? You know, is this the future of ground mounted solar? I mean, you're going to say yes, of course, but but you know, are there applications where this doesn't make sense? Where you know, other technologies are going to hold their 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 head up high and and probably be a better solution? Or do you see that you know? One day, all ground mount solar systems are probably going to be like this. 
So currently we're not designing systems um, in snow regions. Um, We have, we believe from a first principles point of view, that's not an unsolvable problem. Um, We, we believe we can, so that that's more of a matter of time, but, but currently, currently we don't. Um, So yeah, I, I, we do view Earthos as the next step in the evolution of, of uh, utility scale solar power plant architecture. And if, if you look at the, the history of the evolution of, of um, architectures, you know, we go from fixed tilt being the, the predominant uh, architecture to, to trackers taking over. Mm-hmm. And, but it's important to understand if you look at like the NREL data on module cost, you know, the time period that trackers were being designed, modeled, marketed, um, vetted through the IEs to get to the point where they quickly gained dominance that was um, at a higher step level um, at, of the cost curve. So from 2013 to 2016, you had pretty stable module module costs. And then in uh, 2017, the module price took a step function decrease. Um, trackers became predominant, you know, in that 15, 16 timeframe. Um, and now now that's where they, they, they uh, exist. However, the underlying economics have shifted under them um, to where we have lower cost of, of the module. And that's the that's one of the main um, functions of why earth mount solar PV makes more sense than trackers in most situations. The other one is where the cost of steel lands. And as we know, the cost of steel has gone up considerably. And so we have these trends that are highly in our favor. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, to answer your question, we, we do view our technology. not as just trying to get, say, like a portion of the same market, but kind of revolutionizing the market with a new architecture. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I think that is a great way to wrap up. I want, I've got one more question for you because Daniel, I always ask our Australian listeners, um, you know, where they think the market is going to land this year. And we don't talk about other markets. We're, we're very Australian focused, but tell me about the U S market. Do you have a position on, the solar market um, in the U.S. Do you think it's going to grow? Do you think it's going to contract? And what do you think of the big sectors that are that are going to be exciting in the U.S. this year? Yeah, so we're we're still experiencing fairly fairly le- level growth, but certainly certainly holding. Um, you know, and and I think um, as you know, it's a maybe an order of magnitude you know, larger than than Australia, so it's it's quite colossal. Uh, colossal yes. in size yeah so i think you know I, the, the trends that are quite you know clear in people's minds right now are the struggles that projects are having um due to you know logistic concerns many of which you know result from the COVID, um you know the pandemic um yep. and so a lot of projects have you know suffered from increased steel prices uh uh worsening mm. logistics costs yeah. um and so a lot of a lot of projects are um, needing to get creative about how to make the economics work, and uh, we're we're here in the U.S. market to to help with that. Yeah, I can see I can see the logic, and we're certainly feeling the pain of particularly of all of those logistics costs and the the challenges of moving people around and material costs that are volatile and everything else as well. So yeah, okay. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Fascinating topic, um, but sadly we're out of time. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Nigel. It's been great talking to you.
Well, friends, that's a wrap. My name is Nigel Morris. I'm Head of Business Development at Solar Analytics. I hope you picked up some tips on how to build a great solar business, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Great Solar Business was brought to you by Solar Juice, Australia's leading solar distributor. Solar Juice aligns themselves with brands that share their values of service, support, quality, and value for money. Check out solarjuice.com.au and let Solar Juice help you become a great solar business. Great Solar Business was also brought to you by Solar Analytics. You can now offer Solar Analytics from just $40 per year by connecting it directly to Fronius and SunGrow inverters. No additional hardware required, just extra value. Solar Analytics, it's different. Learn more at solaranalytics.com.au.